No Direction Network presents Pfizercon 2022 Seminar Coverage. For more great convention coverage, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com. Hey, we're on! Nice. Hey! All right. Hey. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Consulting Aliens for Your Game panel. Uh, I am going to be your moderator, uh, Ianar Natividad. I'm a senior editor at Paizo. And honestly, uh, as per the name, we're going to be talking a lot about what it means to, or kind of the process of creating a monster or a creature for your Starfinder games or any other games, honestly. And we have a wonderful panel of, uh, I would say, experts in that facility. So I'll let them introduce themselves and we'll dive straight into it because uh, we, have, we have some interesting uh, discussions to, to be had. Hi, I'm John Compton. I'm Starfinder Senior Developer. Uh, I work on the hardcover books, and so this is right up my alley. Sure, I'm creating all these alien archives and good fun times. Sound, Jenny. Jenny is muted. Hi, <laughs> I'm Jenny. Um, I have a voice that can be perceived in the mortal realm at times. Uh, I am a creative developer working on Starfinder adventures, such as modules and adventure paths. I work with Keely, uh, who is also an amazing developer, and I work with my amazing fellow devs and designers in the Starfinder creative team as well. And this is what we do all the time, is make it up species and worlds and adventures. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Kyle Hunter. I'm the art director for Starfinder. And uh, once the developers conceptualize aliens, it kind of comes into my world and uh, we do our best to bring them to life. Kyle's a good sport who, when we start sending him art briefs, gets to respond with the messages of, what? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, back right. in the old days, it was the purview of of the art. The art team wrote the art over, so now you guys make my life a lot easier. Mm. All right, so today we're going to be looking at making our own alien creatures. So let's let's go ahead and uh, just I'll open it to the the floor to everyone to just kind of put on their their take on the process, what goes through their minds, how they kind of start start it and go about it. How about we start with uh, with John? Yeah, sure. So there are a lot of things that come up for me. Um, so like one of the things I'm always asking is what what's the use case for this creature? Um, like this isn't just about creating a cool idea or a cool image or the like. It's how how is somebody going to read this in a book or or see this in an adventure and say, I know what sorts of adventures this can inspire. I know what sorts of stories this can tell. Um, and I also know whether this is a thing that is uh, serving one of two purposes. Either it's a really uh, widespread and somewhat uh, generic, or at least like not, not geo-locked creature, or it's a creature that is specifically found on a certain continent or planet or, or whatever, uh, that's going to be less useful for the majority of, of GMs, but could be telling a much more intense and involved story or so, uh, angle of the, the the narrative of a world. Um, so that's really important to me is, is like, what is this uh, creature conveying about the setting and the story that is not only uh, making the whole setting come alive for your players, but is coming in 
embedded with its own little like story hooks and it's like what nows uh the call to action when you read that that alien archive entry um so you're like now i know how to use this in my game awesome that's at least a good starting point for me I can also jump in uh, for me like I what John said is really good I think it also depends on why I'm creating an alien like if I'm creating this specifically for like an alien archive entry like some kind of source book where we'll have a lot of information about this creature and where it comes from and its culture there's going to be more thought I put into that and into like what niche I want this to serve in a campaign. But sometimes I honestly like to just come up with some random ideas and just like let the chaos flow and see what I come up with. Uh, <coughs> and unfortunately, the the candy the the excuse me the desertification candy panel I can't even talk is pretty representative of how my creative process normally works. Um, so you know that's that's just kind of how it goes. <laughs> what? One of my uh, quick anecdotes from uh, the first Alien Archive was James Sutter put, just putting ideas up on a board, and it wasn't even like what what creature to make, but rather just features that might go into creatures that we could decide to fill the Alien Archive with. And by the end, I was just like, Arm Baleen! And he's like, I don't even know what that means, but I'm putting it up here, and I'm probably going to make you write it. Uh, but like that 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 sort of thing can be just the starting point. Like you can start creating creatures on a dare and uh, you're like, this is a terrible idea until it's a good idea. <laughs> um, you know, I think an interesting challenge, uh, say in Starfinder versus creating monsters for Pathfinder. And uh, this would apply to us working with other artists is um, kind of differentiation. Everybody in fantasy has an idea of what a dwarf looks like and what it, what an elf looks like. And you have like a deep history there to kind of draw on from folklore uh, and, and those sources. Um, but with the aliens, you really are kind of coming at things whole cloth new. And I think it's, it's something that's important for the art team for the aliens to kind of have impact and differentiation from each other, you know, and, um, yeah, kind of be able to stand on their own, I think, is, is interesting because I honestly, at this point, and I've been doing this for, for a couple of years now, um, I don't know all the aliens in Starfinder by name yet. I have a cheat sheet that <laughs> on my fridge behind me. So. Well, I'm more familiar with them from the, from the uh, editor's perspective. And man, having to do spell checks on alien archives is not a... <laughs> It, it brings up a lot of flags <laughs> that aren't actually flags, and that, that's my problem. But uh, anyways, we do have an example of a rather uh, interesting one that I remember um, working on for uh, Alien Archive 4. Let's, uh, let's take a look at the Capaxi. Um, did, I'm not sure who wrote it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, John. So I'm pretty sure this it? is uh, Mike Kimmel. Mike Kimmel, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah Mike Kimmel had uh, created these as kind of an open-ended portion of uh, Starfinder Society 1-23, I think it was, uh, where it's just like, we want to have this diplomatic situation sort of adventure, be sure that there's some sort of weird sentient species that they're dealing with that's new, and we could probably provide playable stats for it. He's like, you got it, I want people made of coral, and we're like, fantastic! <laughs> um, so... Uh, we, we, we've done that with some authors, uh, several, some authors that we deeply trust several times and they have overall delivered some, just a good variety. But that's what the Kopaxi are there. They are effectively coral people, uh, but, uh, when they got the 
when they got the signal that gave drift travel, instead of using it to build technological engines, they used it to create basically a, a hyper-industrialized society that uh, almost destroyed their planet and most of the magic in it. And they are now reckoning with that. Um, uh, as a side note, um, I think all of the art we're looking at coincidentally today um, is by a team we work with in Hungary named Pixeloid Studios. And it's interesting because they're also a group that hands off art projects between themselves. So everyone kind of works on the alien um, or art orders we send them uh, collaboratively. So it's kind of collaboration both on the conceptual side and on the uh, visual execution side. Hmm. That's very interesting, yeah. Uh, I guess remember, I, I brought this up in like previous discussions when we talked about the panel, is that I remembered the art because it was distinct. However, what stuck with me was that aspect of their kind of the uh, history of this uh, species, is that technically it's sort of a conspiracy that they had this ancient past and the government's trying to cover it up. And in, in, in that regard, like, although there was just a lot of aliens I looked at in AA4, this was honestly, I think, the first one that just came to mind. It's like, yeah, it's the, the coral that had pseudo-gravitational powers, but there's this massive government conspiracy against um, them knowing who they actually were in their history in fear of, and it was, uh, possible issues with, like, uh, destabilizing their, their society if the truth got out. And it's like that marriage of interesting visual design, but also the actual kind of the, the context behind these species that I think work very well, at least in my experience for this one. Yeah, and, that, and that's a, a neat angle to be exploring creature design from, because I think when somebody comes into a panel like this, it's it's oftentimes like, all right, first step is to be like arm baleen and face tentacles and I don't know, like uh, 15 sets of antennae, um, <laughs> or like whatever the physical features are, but being able to come from it uh, with a completely blank slate of what the physical features are and say, here's the, here's the genre of story I want to tell. What is going to make that happen uh, can be really helpful. So we could be going into this creature time being like, we have no idea what it looks like, but we know that we want to uh, design this for kind of a solar punk uh, angle of Starfinder or an urban fantasy uh, storytelling of Starfinder or whatever it is. And we can just start building from there. Does Jenier, uh, Kyle want to want to make a comment on Capaxi? Uh, you know, I guess uh, what was going through my mind is so many of the aliens that uh that we've designed are so rich and deep that i think coming at a book like alien archive can be overwhelming from a game mastering standpoint because i feel like you could run a pretty rich campaign with just the capaxi you know and and slowly learn more about their history and things like that as opposed to kind of just a disposable mercenary or something like that there's there's so much ground there for political intrigue and i think uh, slowly I think a good game mastery tip is is kind of slowly revealing these aliens uh to your players you know especially because they're coming out with no context you know all they hear is you know coral scraping against ceramite corridors or something like that um yeah I think I think they're cool <laughs> so oh, speaking oh go ahead Jane oh. sorry Oh no, I was going to say oh. one fun anecdote about the Capaxi is that it was a, they were a species that was created by Mike Kimmel um, that came out in that in that scenario who that later got adapted into Alien Archives, but now we actually have uh, one of our 
known NPCs in Starfinder society is a Copaxi. Um, one of our faction leaders actually, Ixthea the Unbreakable. So it's really cool because they're you, we have all of these like very homegrown species in Starfinder that weren't just brought in inspired from like some other property or brought in from Pathfinder. And all those are cool too, but I love these stories of like our authors and our staff members creating these like really weird little aliens that end up getting their whole this whole culture um that we that we work on and we have other authors contribute to and now they're just part of our setting it's really cool but i won't and, and, i won't take up more time gushing about it because we have things to and, do <laughs> Je jenny brings up an interesting point also about introducing an individual because uh Kupaxi, among many others uh have that uh that risk of falling into like what the planet of the week sort of star trek exploration mm -hmm. um might do where it's like we need to get across the story of this planet real fast. Let's just assume that it's a monoculture um, and that it, the, the planet of the hats, like what, what, what is this one <laughs> sentence that describes all of the people on this planet move on? Okay. We need to get the story done. Commercial break. Um, and, and Kopaxi, you know, don't entirely fall into that, but it is, it is kind of a planet wide story. It's a, um, it's important that once you've gotten past that pr initial premise to remember that very few of these cultures are monoliths and um you can kind of do a, a personal challenge when you're creating uh when you're creating your creatures of, of substituting in the term human um so it's like are you comfortable saying that all humans do x or do y um like well clearly this you know, epoxy are uh, love to love solarians all humans are solarians okay nope that doesn't fit starfinder back up let's remember <laughs> that there are individuals within this culture so i think that's kind of a secondary step of designing a species is thinking about um what what breaks from tradition what breaks from the mold are there countercultures or or what's the variation or what's the spectrum of that mm -hmm. the nuance within that uh the creature the creatures of the exactly. species or the culture yeah that's wonderful that's and you did uh, you also yeah, and you also uh, brought up something about uh, the worlds that they're in, and we have an example that's kind of a, a different, uh, a, kind of another take on that, uh, the Katamas. Uh, John, you, you pointed this out, so go ahead and uh, explain. No, Katamas are, uh, are, are kind of elevator pitches, ice mammoths of peace. Um, so in the Vescarium on uh, planets Vesk 7 and Vesk 8, they are like kind of these twin planets that have a moon that when the planets pass by each other, the moon gets swapped between them. And the Kadamas, even before faster than light travel or interstellar, traditional interstellar travel, had developed rituals to be able to teleport onto the moon and to be able to basically, over generations, be able to slowly swap back and forth between Vesk 7 and Vesk 8, both of which are kind of these Hoth-like uh, ice worlds. Um, but Kadamas are like stargazers of peace, and they even have a peace aura. So you have a, a planet of not-quite-snuffleupaguses um, who have an aura of, please stop fighting, can we just talk about things? Aren't the stars pretty? Um, and... Uh, and they live in the Vescarium, which is like the the conquest uh, <laughs> empire. And the Vescarium shows up, it's like, do you want to fight? And the Kadama's like, we don't understand, precious, um, sort of sort of storyline. But they're giants, they're strong, and they aren't going to use it to bash you unless things have gone very wrong. Sorry. 
Sorry, I'm looking at something. Yeah, uh, I remember uh, rereading their entry and thinking, "Wow, these are really cool. They're 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 big. They're lovable, but kind of in this uh, what's that called? They seem to be just put into the what's that called? Gosh, the crosshairs of conflict by being you know in in the Viscarium. Um, and I read that they uh, the, the Viscarium wanted to make use of them of Katamas. Mm -hmm. However, the ver their very nature is kind of an antithesis to, to what, what it means to kind of serve in the military. And in many ways, it can't be used as one would expect from, like, normal soldiers or uh, casters or anyone that would actually go to the front line. They have to provide more support uh, capacity until they can no longer do that because they waste away, is, I believe, quoting it. Um, mm -hmm. So as far as, like, kind of utilizing this and designing it how how what, what was the thinking because it does seem like this makes katamas as far as their usage a very kind of specific case you you either have to be with this situation with the viscarium or you have to just be set in this um in in their home world like you can't really take them away for too long because they don't survive that long away from the home yeah, and that, that kind of goes back to that dichotomy I brought up at the very beginning of, like, are you making a really general purpose creature? Like, are you basically creating space bug that bites people's heads off? Great, I can put that anywhere. Um, or are you creating this really specific to this place creature? And Kodamas are, are very much that. Um, and so, yeah, they are kind of hard to use, but at the same time, they're creating um, some kind of positive rails that you need to respect. And um, when a when a reader's looking at these creatures, hopefully they're seeing, oh wow, they tend, they really don't do X that I'm used to running games about, but they really do Y well. And so they can create this like, are we going to shoot this woolly mammoth creature? Oh, I can't even convince myself to pull the trigger. I guess we're having a social count encounter instead, or we have to use other skills to solve these problems, uh, can create an interesting uh, break in the, the rhythm of play. And so as you're looking at these creatures and, and that use case for them, you can be asking, like, what sort of experience does this create? What sorts of stories does this create? And, and Kadamas are doing something very different. I think they bring up an interesting art challenge, too, because I, they had reminded me of another alien. I'm like, what is it that they're reminding me of? And it's Woolipeds. And visually, hmm. <laughs> that's a touch. Like, they're, they're cutting a kind of a fine line to each other. And, uh, yeah, I will... Uh, it's kind of interesting to me because I'm like, wow, that's that's a, that's a close line, and it shows you that when you come up with Arctic creatures, uh, it's really hard sometimes. You do have to resort to the arm baleen because you know, look at how common like ice snakes are across different RPG licenses with the idea of like a, a you know some kind of here or something like a multi-legged snow serpent. Uh, so yeah, I think it's kind of the it's their use or uh that kind of gives them more novelty than kind of being a you know a, an arctic herd animal so as you were as you were talking kyle it's not like i was like zoning out but um it's i was thinking about you know from the physical aesthetic point uh I guess from your experience, at what point do you not just take from kind of fiction, but also look towards, and this this might be a bit ten tangential, looking towards, you know, what's actually in nature? Because while we are creating um, these uh, sci-fi fa fantastical creatures, there is kind of a level of groundedness as far as design and how they work and what they do. 
So does it ever kind of not just borrow from the fantastical, but borrow from, let's say, uh, creatures are naturally housed in cold climates? Would that, would that be something that plays into kind of the process of making something that's visually uh, matching the descriptions of these creatures? Well, I think uh, the real uh, benefit and the real uh, card up our sleeve is that we work with so many different talented artists, and uh, frankly, a lot of them have better imagination than I do. And I think that the challenge is to to push things a little bit, you know, um, because uh, thinking things up is hard. <laughs> so, That's fair. Um, uh, yeah, I think that that you know, uh, some artists are are. Different artists have different skills. Some some are great at technical execution. Some have really bizarre, vivid imaginations. Um, and uh, I, I think the style of, of the house at uh, Paizo is is fair, at least with me. I let the artists get excited about the, the creature. I think the more weird and unusual, the better. Um, because then you do kind of have more differentiation between monsters and more, more, more wonder. Uh, so yeah, I, I always push things to get, to get weirder, and uh, I even like some of the artists, especially because they have a kind of a weird sideways way of looking at things. Well, we've seen like two specific examples, and with that kind of building up the framework, how about we get a bit weird and let's stick a gander at stitching our own creature together. Um, I know yeah. Jenny has been looking forward to this because uh, <laughs> she shall she shall be bringing in some context that we can kind of you know use in in, in this uh, in this process in this activity. All right. So in the last in the last panel, I, I don't think we ever came up with a name for our planet except what someone in chat suggested, which was Planet Bob. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, but this is a this is a terrestrial world with many different biomes, including ter uh, like arboreal, aquatic, mountainous biomes. Um, this is a world that outwardly seems like this wonderful utopia of candy. We have these candy mountains and like candy structures that have encroached over half the planet but really it's all designed to draw sapient creatures in to meet their doom at the hands of the evil willy wonka who was also never named sorry um who is kind of the the person in charge of the terraforming machines that are um causing the desertification like literal desertification <laughs> of this world and uh, uh yeah that's kind of what we're working with uh, we have gummy tech as well and uh, gingerbread kaiju I'm sorry. That's very much like an old Doctor Who episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back to the planet of the hats, huh? <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, that's what we got. So, like, one of the first things that comes to mind, having heard that abstract, um, for which I'm going to use multiple levels or terms, uh, meanings of the word, um, I guess, what, so we have, the, we have this, uh, what it, the technical term would be called a, a honeypot. Um, yeah. where it is luring something in with, with uh, relative sweetness or incentives uh, to consume them. So, like, if it is a candy planet, is this, like, candy as we know it? Like, is the planet uh, sucrose or glucose, etc., rich, um, or, or something else operating? Basically, like, what are some of the resources that are in abundance, and what are some of the resources that are fairly uh, rare, because those might be some things that kind of inspire us to think like what what sorts of things would a creature have to adapt to um, and what would a creature not really care about? It's like, I don't ever, I never worry for carbs. Um, it's, mm -hmm. uh, there, there's a, uh, 
there's a uh, a, a, a species of shrew that um, thrives primarily around pitcher plants um, and has a strange symbiotic relationship where it will lick up the uh, kind of sweet nectar that the pitcher plant uses to attract flies. But in the process, it apparently is a laxative and makes the shrew poop, nitrogenous poop, <laughs> into the gullet of this pitcher plant. So I'm kind of wondering about, like, if we're creating a species, if the planet itself is kind of going like, oh, nom, 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 I want to absorb some things, um, are there all of the hangers-on, the shrews, so to speak, that are licking up the, the, the honey as it goes and eating some of the candy, but are somehow immune to the pitcher plant itself, the, the clownfish to your sea anemone, so to speak. That's, mm. that's where my mind starts to go. I have, uh, I, I for some reason was envisioning uh, like what kind of undead this world would produce and <laughs> flying, <laughs> okay. flying right. swarms of rotten teeth, like a sentient swarm <laughs> of like in a like, yeah, I, I, like I said, I like to bring the weird to the table. Man, but, uh, this thing's turned into a morality tale now. Oh, <laughs> why not? Why should I? Because of this planet, and by the end, the child's crying. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, t the tooth fairies from uh, Pathfinder, like, I guess, maybe, were perhaps subconsciously... <laughs> subconsciously. Oh, yeah, they uh, stick with you. Yeah, They yeah. do. I'm sorry, like, I just any got... Kind of I got mentally stunned thinking about swarms of fraud and teeth. Oh gosh, I'm sorry. It's just... <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good point. It's like, uh, how does whatever creature that lives on this world probably has some way of utilizing the resources available? Uh, so as I and as you were explaining that, I was thinking, so would this be like a creature similar to? Um, gosh, I don't want to say more of like a non-sapient creature that's just out there eking its life on this planet or do we want to kind of look at it from a type of creature that would actually flourish into more of a uh uh more adva more advanced civilization that would actually have society that's living on this planet in a way i'm thinking is this planet really conducive to that kind of society but possibly with the right type of creature it could be and and that's uh that's kind of i think the direction that someone can think of as far as building uh alien that would be native to to this world Oh, and you're still alive too. The people whose teeth they are, or it's like a virus. You, you get it from eating. Why do you hate people, Kyle? And while you, while you sleep, your teeth you? fly out of your mouth and attack you. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So we now have a whole bunch more Pisodians who are afraid to use their dental plan because, or or really will use it. Uh, so, um, one of the things in, in response to your point, uh, in response to your point, you and our um. I think for the purpose of creating the thing today, I'm most intrigued by the idea of something that is a little bit on the smarter side. Like uh, when you're okay. creating a, a strictly like animal sort of creature, um, it can be a little harder to delve into some of the interactivity nuance. Um, it's very easy to just default to like, a, it, it eats this, it gets eaten by that, it lives in these, um, it growls, meh. Um, whereas once you give it a little bit more intelligence then you can start to... to, to spin off into some interesting behavioral connections not to say that like real world animals don't have all that stuff but it it becomes even more narratively viable uh once you get above that like negative to negative four uh and higher uh intelligence modifier mm -hmm. well jenny you are 
the one who explained a lot of this world. So, uh, what do you think? Uh, as far as creating kind of the sentient sort of species or creature, what would be like a good place you think on this world to that would allow it to eke out a living without being uh, consumed or otherwise overpowered by the gummy bear kaijus apparently that exist somewhere on it? You are muted, Jenny, your voice by the way. <laughs> Dang it. Okay. We do, we do have an aquatic biome. Thank you. So I feel like that could be a good place. Um, we talked about how there might be some amphibious gummy tech, like maybe using jelly. But for the most part, the, uh, the desertification isn't touching the sea. So maybe one of those aquatic biomes would be a good place for, for a sentient, like sapient species to, to take up shop, I guess. <laughs> we can start with that. <laughs> I love the idea that instead of salt water, there's fresh water and sugar water in this, in this <laughs> yes, planet. Yes. <laughs> and so it's sort of like, is, is, this a, is this a sugar water species? Is this a freshwater species? Or is this a brackish uh, sweetness species? Um, or does it like, does it dabble? Yeah, there are sour <laughs> hemispheres and there are... <laughs> I feel like this is a freshwater species. Freshwater. Okay. Aquatic species. Right, so sure. We don't need something adapted to syrup. Um, fantastic. <laughs> Although that could be fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we could get like a a syrup skimmer species or something like that, where they where they uh, exploit the um, enhanced surface tension of the syrup sea uh, in order to skim around <laughs> on top like water striders. Amazing. Syrup. Just throwing water ideas around here. I like no, syrup water striders. Yep. I mean, the other, the other, the other considered... have some. Uh huh. What was that? Lightweight. No, I was going to say I, I like the idea too of some kind of like woven insulative candy floss, like cotton candy, <laughs> as a, like a webbing, uh, kind of <laughs> accumulate sugar and keeps itself uh, <laughs> s swathed without overloading the surface tension of the water. So fabrics yeah, yeah. and things like that it's are all made of woven spun sugar. It's almost like doing water world, um, but but atop a, a highly viscous, sugary uh, syrup that, that they probably partly subsist off of. That's, that could be pretty cool. Um, and that could even mean that we start to have like these floating cities if we start to go down that road, uh, that figurative road of like, if, if they were to construct things, if they were to build anything other than candy floss cocoons that they can sleep in without sinking, like, what might that look like? Um, <clears throat> so this is the point where in creature design, I would normally say, okay, we have kind of like a, a very, very vague physical idea. We have a kind of like, here's a bit of an ability or an environment. Um, and I, and I personally as a developer would start to ask like, what, what, what's the story that we're kind of potentially telling with these or what sorts of story prospects are we opening up with these creatures? In a way, as y'all were discussing that, it's like, we've already kind of, I'm not saying it's like skipping steps, but rather we establish something kind of very quickly, and that is kind of technology level. Um, the manner in which they uh, innovate in order to meet the demands of their environment or otherwise use the, the resources available to them. And for, for what it's worth, I think it's more like they're, they're making things. They're clearly, uh, they're intelligent. They know what they're doing as far as what they have to work with. Uh, in a way, I, I'm still figuring out what they look like, and maybe we'll do that later. But uh, oh, I'm sketching. It also now. made <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, but uh, it it did make me think of um with with this. Is it possible that 
they are on this planet more as uh, not exactly because they, sometimes you don't choose where you get you know place, but it, is it more like they're still on this planet because they don't really have possibly the resources to leave it in a way? Because I'm thinking of what we've talked about. It. It's like there's a bunch of sugar, there's materials that can be um, refabricated to make these tools, but if they were to do something like try to explore space with what they currently have, it doesn't seem like they're at least right now at that point yet. So maybe they're more of an insulated culture that's native to this planet and hasn't been exposed to things like the drift or to other people that have, or maybe this planet hasn't been dis- necessarily discovered yet by anyone who wants to open up this species to that ideology or those ideas. That's really fun also because uh, it, it, it creates that question of what would happen if they were provided with that, that technology or with that, um, those resources? Because once the player characters arrive to do whatever it is that they're doing, they're probably coming in a starship. Um, are these creatures that are you know, going to wait until the PCs wander off into the candy dungeon over there and then steal the keys and fly off? <laughs> are, these, um, are these creatures that are basically going to create their own micro honeypot equivalent and basically like the PCs arrive and all these uh, syrup striders are like, oh, great gods, who are the player characters? Please sit upon the candy throne. What can we give you? Uh, and, and as you get hyped up on sugar and sugar hide and we, we get you telling stories, maybe you'll tell the story about how you develop space flight in high details and you can please write out the blueprints right here, please. Um, it's like, that's a very specific question. Oh, we only ask the most humble prayers of our gods. Uh, oh, yes, we are gods, of course, because we are player characters and we are full of ourselves. Um, like, so like those <laughs> sorts of questions come up, you know, um, or... Like, I also wonder, like, if this planet is serving as a honeypot that's attracting people, like, are, are their non-sugar resources basically dependent upon the equivalent of, you know, mining asteroids, but it's equivalent of, like, mm-hmm. a starship crashes, and yeah. they all go, Wah! and they scatter over to the thing, kind of like a whale fall, uh, and a whole bunch of, and they are the lampreys, and it's like, everybody goes, blah, 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 to try and scavenge the ship, or the starship, before it sinks entirely beneath the syrup sea that they cannot penetrate um creates this great wrecker culture um that could happen and then the pcs show up in a ship that has not wrecked and they're just like what do you mean it's a starship that isn't it can fly these fly we want one uh we'll take two oh we have a gummy tech like we're taking this (laughs) exactly Every time we try to bake a submersible out of gummy tech, it it dissolves inside the liquid <laughs> medium. So yeah, yes, that's we'll the take. downside. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so like, so I, long story short, when it's like, hey, do they not have that technology to to be getting off the planet? Aren't they kind of unwillingly here? It creates really awesome inherent interactions and possible conflicts that a GM can run wild with, and that the players can probably play into without knowing who who's really playing whom. <laughs> That's an excellent point. Yeah. It's um actually I, I, I glanced over chat because I am keeping an eye out. And someone made a good very a very good point is that um if these creatures are constantly surrounded by sugary foods, wouldn't they isn't it possible that they develop a taste for non sugary foods as a sort of either delicacy or a preference if that's all they ever eat. People get. I I know I get sick of eating the same thing every day, so I feel as though it's perfectly reasonable that perhaps another species would feel the same. But you know, I I am I am a human being, so maybe it's not the same kind of 
I love the Standard. idea where the piece pull up and then, uh, you know, all these uh, Syrup Striders are like, ah, rah, rah, and they're like, oh, do you think they think we're gods? Keskadai, cast Comprehend Languages. Okay. Cast Comprehend Languages. And all they realize <laughs> is that these uh, Syrup Striders are chanting, meat, 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 meat. Uh, <laughs> oh, my run. Like, oh, no. <laughs> Syrup Striders. <laughs> All right. We're not We're certain striders, so it's not cannibalism, man. Yeah, it's not cannibalistic. It's just they, they want more than just sugar. It makes sense. They're technological scavengers, but they also scavenge their food. Meat. What do you yes. mean? Yes. You <laughs> bribed your way off the planet with broccoli. <laughs> well, they really craved some leafy greens. It's just like, what do you want from us? I know Kyle has been uh, sketching I'm, I'm away. Doodling, uh, I'm doodling away doodling? right now. Um, um, I can't get over, I keep going back to when I was a kid and they didn't care about child safety. There were these suckers called Astro Pops that looked like lances and you could oh, sharpen yeah. one to like needle sharp. Yeah. <laughs> and That's they were just, cool. and eventually they flipped them over. So you had the cone end on top and they ceased kind of being fun, but they were the most like just hardened sugar syrup. They're like, rock, like rocket pops or. Yeah, um, sugar, and the sugar thing was, I, yeah, I sugar remember it, like getting one so sharp that like I got it in the roof of my mouth and it broke off, and so I'm like, I had the sugar splinter that I was like, oh man, these things are just so deadly. So the idea that they have some kind of needle-like sugar lances that break off, uh, that being an aspect Ooh. of the sugar tech, I think Hell is yeah. is. Uh, what, visceral. <laughs> so I, I don't know yes, if it's too late to introduce the idea that they might be like living sugar tech, like they might be living gummy tech, like jelly people that can like morph themselves into different shapes and they can they can make that like lance um, out of their bodies. Anyway, just a thought. That would really make them averse to eating sugar in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like they have the, to eat like... meat. Yeah, they have to eat. <laughs> oh gosh, These nutrients. I. Like I, and and even the I, like it could be that they're making it out of their own bodies. It could be that they're so used to living in an environment where they can just reach out and grab the raw resources they need to make sugar lances uh, or sugar shivs, as it is. Um, that, that maybe that they're just that's how they're approaching. It's just like it's like mm -hmm. a, a lithic technology where it's like yeah, we just grab the when we need a new knife, we grab one of the rocks that's usually around and we hack off a quick knife and we're good. Um, it's like simple as that. What do you mean you live in a place that doesn't have proper rocks to, to break into a knife? Now I don't know what to do with myself. Um, so, so it could be that as well. <laughs> Alrighty. Yeah, here we go. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, did we get art? A uh, uh, little bit to the side. Yeah. A little bit to your right. To your right. You're right. A little You're bit right. to your right. There you go. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. Fluffy. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, I like the design. I, the have to think, I do love that. I like that. <laughs> well, they're usually bird-like legs, hummingbird-like mm -hmm. beaks too, because they have to absorb yeah. the sugar. So they really need to liquefy the meat. So there's. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> oh no! That's what the sugar does. It gets in your system, liquefies yeah. it, so then they can. <gasps> I like this. Okay, so that so you go here and you think you're gonna eat all this like delicious candy and you just Hansel and Gretel like out and you're just running around like eating it and then you just feel your insides like 
liquefying. Okay, this is horrible, but yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Dude, basically, basically, they are relying upon the, the secondary honeypot features of the planet in order to send their prey into a sugar coma. <laughs> that could be fun. Yeah. This so what took the, a turn what the, what the, as much as for uh, expected from a candy planet. Just, just saying. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Right. Look, like, no, at least for at least for Jenny and me, one of our standard twists is like we start very, very happy and and go lucky with our <laughs> designs, and then we we get to the point in writing something where we're just like, all right, now that we have something that's fun, how can we make the players cry with it? Yes. Um, so it's either <laughs> what tragic backstory have we built into this playable species? Oh, playable species, we could probably explore that in a sec. Um, and and yeah. or. How do these things eat the player characters, but do so what with a smile um, that make everybody mm -hmm. really afraid in kind of like a fear of clowns sort of way? Um, those, those are kind of some standard approaches for the two of us, at least. Well, yes. <laughs> since you mentioned, you know, making it into a playable species, uh, I think we've kind of started establishing what type of the are we still calling them Serp Striders? What the Seraph Striders I, are. I think that's kind great. Of their society, yeah, their society and what they vaguely look like, how they survive, um, and how they kind of make use of their environment, their resources, in kind of an, in, an intuitive way, uh, I would think. They just do it in a way, and they know how to, you know, for, for, uh, reform into the tools they need because that's either something with their physiology or everyone's just taught that way. We can kind of probably get into that a bit more as we're talking about them as a playable species so that people can use them in their games if you really wanted to i oh, they guess want to. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i want Li to i can't wait to liquefy my meat um anyways <laughs> you're the one who said it <laughs> <laughs> all right let's uh go, go ahead John, and bring out this uh how, how do we how can we turn these uh these serum striders into something that uh, anyone out there might want to play or put into their game. As a yeah, Starfinder makes it really easy to take any sort of, well, many sorts of creatures and turn them into something that is playable in a way that even kind of challenges uh, some of our some of our previous games. Uh, like the stuff that Pathfinder never would have allowed you to play. It's just like, yeah, you want to have no backbone? That's fine. Here, have this. Um, so <laughs> in there's you can kind of look at a, the hundred or more uh, playable species that Starfinder already has. You can kind of do a little bit of reverse engineering to get close enough to, to, to some playable stats of your own. But we realized it might be helpful to start having some guidance. So we've already announced the uh, upcoming book, Interstellar Species, um, which is going to explore a deeper dive into a whole bunch of our existing species and, and their cultures and anatomy and the like. Um, but what we also include in it is a custom species builder. And I have a copy of that with me today, uh, which I think can help to guide us through creating the uh, playable statistics for this thing. Um, a lot of the, the way it's structured is like, hey, you go in any order. You can start with a concept or a name or a, I know that I want to have something with a plus two to strength or something like that. And it kind of just runs you through uh, choosing some abilities, which can be either you pick what you want or it can be entirely randomized um uh, and i know what some votes are going to be um so we can uh we can start to apply a little bit of that here like it involves choosing like what creature type are we using for this uh striders like are these are these 
uh, magical beasts? Are these aberrations? Are are we going to call these humanoids and make everybody doubt our <laughs> doubt our creative process from here on out? Are these dragons? Like what what fits here? Are they fae? What what this, fits their identity? Well, we do have this. This planet is high magic. Um, we didn't okay. go through all the details. I took down quite a lot of details, and we can change some as we need. But I personally think a magical beast would make a lot of sense, or maybe an aberration. I could see. I could definitely see the case for like you know the ooze and that sort of thing. These are a crime thinks. against Oris. Yes. I was. I mean, like the aberrations. These are not. <laughs> they are not uh, usual. I would say. Um, and with the image that I got from that we got from Kyle, it's, yeah, it's uh, very <laughs> aberrant of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so we can kind of go ahead and call these aberrations. We can then choose like um, how our how our ability scores work, and that's just like plus two to two different abilities, minus two to another one um, is kind of the standard process. So, like, what uh, ability score wise, what are the, what are these things really good at, and what where are they not quite as great? I mean, they're made of candy, so charisma. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Kyle? Oh, I was going to say I would think dexterity because they would be kind of, they're lightweight, amped up, they stride, yeah. mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. they, they seem to be a high dexterity uh, to me. Low con, maybe, because they're so lightweight weight and brittle, they're, you know, with their candy bones. cotton candy-like physiology. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. that's fair. Okay, yeah, so we, ha we have a plus two dex, a plus two charisma, and a minus two constitution uh, species. We, we choose a set of uh, species base hit points. Uh, this is the two, four, or six hit points that most species get. You kind of default to four, um, although for something smaller or for something uh, a lot flimsier, you can always go with two. So if we want, we can kind of go with that. Don't really need to lock that in right now. But we should probably choose some abilities. So the species builder basically recommends uh, grabbing two kind of... Uh, minor combat abilities um, and uh, two uh, non-combat abilities, but if you want to kind of substitute two of those in for one of the stronger options, then you can totally do so. Um, <clears throat> are there any abilities based on what we've already described that we say we should make sure that we have something like this? Also, you need some sort of movement ability that counts for how they can actually move through syrup. But I'm not sure what that exactly mm. means. Yeah, we have uh, some non-combat abilities that are a little bit tied into that. Um, Earth glide, actually, but only actually, for syrup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can we can basically syrup give glide? it like a specialized uh, swim speed, or we can give it that. Mm. Uh, we can just give it syrup stride and, and say like for more viscous fluids, <laughs> it sure can do the equivalent of water walk. Um, GM's discretion, um, and and that's one of those. That's one of those situational enough abilities that you can kind of just tack that on uh, for free and not worry too much because it, it, it's going to be so selective. It's like walking on webs. Okay, how often does that really happen? But how cool is it when it does? Um, I'm going to recommend that we kind of throw a wrench in the gears and I'm going to roll uh, at least one random combat ability and one random uh, non-combat ability. And we can really quickly in these last couple of minutes try to weave that into our evolving creature concept. So I have a 75 on the table, which <laughs> uh, which is Mighty Grip. The species gains a plus two species bonus to grapple, combat maneuvers, and athletics checks to climb. Um, I guess there's steam, maybe? Yeah, and a non-combat option, I have a 53, which is 
eclectic knowledge. The species chooses two skills at character creation and adds those to their list of class skills. Uh, so it's like the Lushunta ability where you kind of just choose some extra class skills to know. So how, how do we quickly weave these into the Serb Strider's uh, story? They possibly gain some of the intelligence or skills of a creature they've consumed. Oh, Kyle, why aren't we better friends? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> An unholy alliance forms, oh no. Exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, it's going to be good working more closely with you for Starfinder stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. Oh, oh, this is a grim, delicious planet. <laughs> what have we done? Instead of grim oh, dark, God. it's grim delicious. It's a new thing, I love it. <laughs> Grim delicious Spark future. Sparkle, right. sparkle dark. Sparkle dark. I like, I like that. that. I think that's my personal brand, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we have the sticky hands or sticky appendages that allow them to get that grip. And apparently something in the mush gives them more knowledge of those skills. Any, anything else that we need to we need to add to shore up this new playable species, uh, John? I mean, there a lot of the things that are in this article we've touched on in many ways. It's like, hey, here's how to go about considering physiology and the questions you can ask to inspire really fun um, and, you know, as much as, as, as we can really ask, realistic design. It's like, is, it, is there an internal logic to what's going on? And for our candy planet... There is an internal, there is a logic of sorts, and it's enough where players can sit down and we can be like, as long as I accept this planet's premise, your, your absolutely disgusting syrup striders make sense, and I would no longer like to interact with them because they're terrifying. Um, uh, but that it has some culture notes about questions you should ask about culture and attributes and their values and their home world. So we've really covered a lot of these things. We've gotten a name. Uh, they're, we haven't really determined a language for them, whether we're going to invent a new one or we're going to decide that they speak an existing language, at which point the question is, how do they know it? Like, if we choose Infernal for them, it's like, why do they know Infernal? Um, or how do they know why? Infernal? Or... <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, and... and and even just the like, what are their relations, or what 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 other uh, interconnections do they have? So, are there other beings that are on this planet that uh, Serb Striders sometimes interact with? And and what is is it is it a clash? Is it some sort of uh, trade network or support or or the like? Um, those are the sorts of questions you can be asking yourself, so that you can make sure that your creature doesn't just exist in a tiny little syrupy bubble, but is in fact part of a greater candy floss uh, food web. Um, that, that makes the entire world seem a lot more cohesive and thought through. Right Indeed. on time. Right on time, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, let's wrap up our syrup strider. We have, perhaps, someone might, one of you might be inspired to put that all together and release the syrup strider for use for anyone who wants to use it in their Sparkle Dark games. Who knows? Uh, could be fun. But yes, uh, we're about running out of time, so... Uh, uh, does anyone have any kind of closing statements that they want about as far as like the process or one last thing to give people nightmares about regarding the Syrup Strider? Uh, John, <laughs> go ahead. But let's start with you and then you can also tell what uh, kind of close off with um, your social media name, etc. Yeah. Uh, when you're creating the, when you're creating creatures, um, it's totally cool to just say X is true, Y is true, Z is true, but always be ready to ask yourself 
uh, follow-up of if X is true or Y is true, what else does that mean? Um, they have laser eyes. Okay, how does that infect their culture, their environment, their their enemies, etc.? So ask about those uh, next steps because that is what takes you from very basic concepts into really amazing creature design. Uh, you can find me online at on Twitter at uh, Archaeotog. You'll see it down below. I'm also on the Starfinder uh, Discord channel or Discord server uh, frequently, um, and I'm always happy to chat. Go ahead, Jenny. Hi. Uh, so yeah, my last piece of advice would be just don't be afraid to be weird. Have fun. Don't be afraid to always, like, if you're a GM or a creator, get your players involved. Get, like, other creative people you're friends with involved for brainstorming. Uh, many heads are better than one. And, like, as you can see from these panels, if I was just sitting here at, like, 9, 10 a.m. trying to come up with a... Uh, with a species or a planet on my own, I probably would struggle. But with this great creative energy, it makes things so much easier. So please remember, this is a, a game about telling collaborative stories. It's not just about us making up our own stuff. And even in-house, like we, we work together so much and it's really important. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at spaceprincess underscore J. I'm also here in the chat. Um, most, of my, most of my online handles use some combination of those words. So you can find me there. Yeah, I think I think Jenny said it best, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get weird. I think that's that, <laughs> you know, d <laughs> well, I, I think that some of the fun is just introducing little bits at a time of, of really strange creatures and kind of building the intrigue and building the mystery. And uh, I, I, I'm hot off of watching a pretty recent good episode of uh, Strange New World. So I think that's a yes. great lesson in storytelling right there. <laughs> Watch <laughs> Strange New World. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I'm not big on the socials, but you guys can and always reach out to me um, uh, at kshart kshart Kyle Stanley Hunter Art. Yeah, well, I had fun, and I think that's what that's my biggest advice to everyone out there who's either playing or thinking of making something for their games is have fun with it. As you can see, <laughs> it, it can lead to some very amazing stuff. You're welcome for the Syrup Strider. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at, at Immaculate, but that's about it. Thank you, everyone, for coming, and thank you for joining us in this uh, very, very sweet, sweet panel. <laughs> and, and, and remember that we will be on the uh, the PaizoCon event Discord for about an hour after this to continue bantering and answering questions about creature design. Have a great con, everybody. Enjoy!